How do I do my taxes? What's a credit limit? Where can I find a doctor? When's the best time to move? Who can I ask about all this? And why wasn't I taught how to be an adult? Hi, I'm Kathy. And I'm Genevieve. And, and we're, we're just, just as lost as you are. Come along with us as we journey through the weird, confusing, and sometimes scary world of adulthood. Every week, we'll talk with experts and those who have been there, done that, to answer your questions and ours. And on this edutainment podcast, we'll finally learn how to be an adult. So come on. Enjoy, enjoy the, the Society, society of, of Grown-Ups. Hi, listeners. We're back. It is I'm, us. It is us. I'm Genevieve. And I'm Kathy. And I love that we're singing every line. I know it's so nice. How are you all? We hope you are doing well. Just a quick reminder, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We are at Society mm-hmm. of Grownups podcast. Don't mm-hmm. forget to rate and subscribe. We're available on pretty much every single platform. So I just wanted to plug that real quick. And if there's any episodes that we haven't covered or any subjects that you want advice on, like let us know, or you can email us. We are, uh, our email is society of grownups podcast at gmail.com. But anyways, how are you, Miss Kathy? What's up with you? I am ecstatic. Okay. So honestly, one of the best things about adult life is yes, you have people judging you about, you know, how you spend your money, but you really have full control of where your money goes. So I am ecstatic because we bought like a four person floaty that is sick. It has built in coolers and I'm just so excited to drink beers on the lake cruise you know that's fun I mean honestly like that's a product that has transformed into adulthood it worked its way because you have the unicorn floaties and no shade I'm not saying that as an adult you can't have that but you have kid floaties Mm -hmm. and they've really (laughs) they've really grown up did you have floaties as a kid no I didn't no I mean maybe I did but I didn't really have any of my own not even when you were like learning how to swim on your arms well, in my arms, yes, but I like I'm thinking about you know those obnoxious floaties, you know, like no, a I never pink had flamingo. I've always wanted one, and we, you know, I got my boyfriend on board, but we're like, do we really want to spend two hundred dollars on a floating unicorn that we're probably only? You didn't spend two hundred dollars, right? No, we didn't spend two hundred bucks. Okay, this was like super reasonable, which is okay. why I go, okay, I can, I can do this. That's this legit. is reasonable, you know, but. I think you said you got, you and Kevin got some floaties as well, right? We did. Yeah. So Kevin and I, and two of our friends, shout out Paulina and Cassandra. We went to a uh, cottage for a long weekend mm. and we just got back yesterday. It was lovely. We were right on a uh, river. We, there was a hot tub there. Yeah. It was just nice to unplug, get away. We grilled, we ate outside. We had fires. Honestly, most of the time we were just there tanning. I did get burned. Oh no! Uh, but now she has a little, a little. You're so sunkissed. Thanks. I yeah. love it. Now I'm not red anymore because it's been a couple days. But yeah, I'm feeling <laughs> rejuvenated. I'm excited. It's nice to get away. But I'm super excited about our episode today. We mm-hmm. have a very uh, informational uh, episode, and it's packed with lots of stuff about internet security and. IT stuff and software and computer things. Our guest this week is an IT consultant and he's worked in software since 1985 because yeah, computers have been around that long people. He owns his own business called Techno Hero, which is a full service IT shop, helping people with everything from hardware to the cloud. Please welcome Eric Magnin. Woo, woo. 
my name is Eric Magnan. I am a, uh, an IT consultant uh, since 2001, but I started in this business in 1985 when I got my first computer. And uh, I'm actually a mechanical engineer, but I've worked in software my whole life because that was way more fun. And uh, that's how I started this career. Uh, I worked for different places, uh, writing software mostly. And then I got to manage software development groups for Compaq. And in 2001, right after 9-11, my career took a turn. Uh, I didn't have a corporate job anymore. So based on my wife's suggestion, I started this little business of helping people with technical problems. And uh, my website is technohero.com. So I, I do think of myself as a technology hero. And uh, people call me uh, all kinds of different uh, businesses and uh, individuals, professionals, especially with the pandemic, we've had a lot of activity, uh, getting people online and on Zoom and understanding backup and uh, you know disaster recovery and all that kind of good stuff. So I'm a full service IT shop, and uh, you know from the hardware all the way up to you know networking and cloud mm. and all that kind of stuff. You do it all. Awesome. I love I love Techno Hero. That's so cute. We'll make sure to have your your stuff linked in the description below so people can can contact you because. Like we were speaking before we started, I have no patience for technology issues. And my yeah. boyfriend is constantly yelling at me to have patience when the TV doesn't turn on in 0.5 seconds. So people like you are the true heroes. Not all heroes work. <laughs> <laughs> technology hero series. Yeah. Uh, we're super excited to have you on. We were talking a little bit before about, you know, you asked us guys, what is the internet? So we're going to ask, we're going to throw that question back at you. What is the internet? What is the cloud? Okay. So let's start from the very beginning. And this is a little bit of history. Uh, there was a thing called ARPANET, which was funded by the Department of Defense in the U.S., and that was to enable the different universities to communicate with each other. Uh, of course, we all know about local area networks. This is a network you'd have in your house, or these days it's pretty much all wireless. Uh, so when you're connected to your house wireless, you are on a network. Uh, whether there's one or 10 machines, it doesn't matter. Now, the internet obviously is to connect all these different networks, the different endpoints together so that a message can make it from uh, let's say Yale to Princeton and go back to MIT and, you know, all these original, I think there was uh, maybe less than a dozen even universities that were connected. And uh, it was done, you know, obviously what I like to say over copper, meaning phone lines, you would have uh, devices that would allow you to connect to the other, the other universities. And this of course evolved over time and we now live in the future and the future is pretty amazing where everything is interconnected. And all it is really is that all the devices have a certain language to speak to each other. You know, we talk about TCP IP. Uh, this is, you know, think of it as the language. So there's a, there's the medium, which would be fiber or copper or, you know, the, the hardware to do networking. And then there's the language to transmit messages. And these messages are small little, what we call packets. You know, each one contains a bit of information. And, uh, you know, routing is when you take the packets and you say, where does it go? Within the packet is basically a sender receiver, like a postcard. And this is from Eric to Genevieve. And then the router knows that Genevieve lives on a certain, you know, node. Let's call it that. 
And so the traffic across the internet makes its way that way. And these days, obviously, it's, you know, billions and trillions probably of packets that cross the internet every day, all day long, 24-7, a lot of internet traffic. Now, back to the, you know, the internet as we use it. Obviously, we have this, this, it's now like roads or whatever. We just use it. We don't think of it. And when you go to a website, you're actually really going to a specific address on the internet. I like to think of those as, you know, street addresses. Everybody lives somewhere on a street address, the town, the county, the state, the country. And because this is a worldwide thing, obviously we need addresses for everybody. And uh, so when you're on the internet, you essentially have an address on the internet and you can be reached from other places. Because when you send a request, let's say that I go to, uh, you know, CNN.com, no endorsement of CNN. What happens is my computer knows to talk to their computer at a certain address using this language of TCP IP. And I get, you know, and now we get into the using the web. Now, what's the web? Well, the web is another layer. You know, HTTP, you've pretty much heard of that, which is hypertext transport protocol. Now, the language used is HTML, which is hypertext markup language, right? So initially, when we started the internet, it was all basically we'd use HTML to code some pages. Most of it was static. We didn't have all the good dynamic stuff we have now. And then when you went to CNN.com, you'd basically just be looking at a file, a special file, you know, welcome.html, for example. Because realize, of course, that although it appears like magic, all it really is is one computer talking to another. You know, now they've gotten very strong, very big. You know, we talk about servers. They're like yelling now. They're like, Genevieve is trying to... (laughs) They're so loud and so fast. Yes. And so, you know, there's we've increased the capacity exponentially. But the bottom line is that it's one computer talking to another using a specific language. Right. When you put it in the terms of language and actual addresses and things like that, it makes sense because if you actually had like sat me down and I had to answer the question, what is the internet? I would be like, uh, uh, um, uh." online. It doesn't, I, I don't know what it is. I think I have to see things. But when people like write code, I'm like, is it just random? Like letter, like people who write, I know it's not, but people who write code are geniuses to me. Cause I'm like, how does that, like, that doesn't work mm-hmm. in my head. Yeah. We can come back also to what is a computer, you know, True. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's often, that's often one of my complaints, you know, because like we carry these devices today, very powerful computers. And oh, by the way, they also do phone. Right. right? Because really what this is, is mm-hmm. a portable computer with a beautiful Of course. Screen. But even yeah. like on watches and stuff, Apple Watch is basically a portable. It's crazy. Computer. Yeah. It's so Hello, crazy. Dick Tracy calling Dick Tracy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the sci-fi stuff from the 50s. I was talking yesterday uh, with a friend and we were saying, do you remember on your flip phone if you accidentally hit the internet button and you would be like, oh no, because it would cost so much money. How far we've come or it would take five years just to open the web. It's it's crazy. You know, we see that already today or as my daughter would like to say, you know, isn't the future great? As in we're living in the future and it's amazing this stuff that if you went back only 20 years, you know, and you guys are fairly young, but this stuff was unimaginable back then. 
And now yeah. it's an everyday thing. Right. Three-year-olds use their tablets yeah. and they go on the internet all day long. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. They watch any movie they want, anytime right. they want. Right. I, We're the I, last generation that knows what it's like to not have internet. Yeah. I mean, also when my dad was in school, cause when we were in school, Genevieve, like we had Google, you know, we could download our textbooks. We could, I mean, I'm not saying I recommend this, but you could illegally download your textbooks and not have to pay the fees. Uh, but my dad actually had to hustle and go to the library and like, there was no Wikipedia back in no, the No, you had to actually look up resource. I don't know. I would love to see Gen Z research things without, <laughs> without the <laughs> without internet. <Google. laughs> they wouldn't know what to do. So we talked about what's the internet. So there's this famous thing called the cloud which yeah. we're also talking about the, the interview. Cloud, what the is cloud. this cloud, this mysterious yeah. thing that you send all your information mm. to? And is it safe? Yeah, is it safe? Well, that's going to be a very good question. We're gonna, I'm going to elaborate on that. But the cloud is just a marketing word to say that basically you have storage on another computer that is not yours. You know, obviously, if I'm using a phone, there's not necessarily a lot of storage for all my pictures or movies or things that I like to have with me. So then I can use the cloud, which means it's storage somewhere else. Again, on a server, more than likely. And uh, they've allocated space. Usually they make me pay for it, right? And, and then I can use that cloud storage to put my movies and my music and photos in. And, and in a way, then on the security side of things, that's very good because then I don't have to be responsible for my backup. Apple supposedly has my back or Google or, you know, Google Drive, the Apple iCloud drive, Microsoft has OneDrive. You know, these are all examples of storage in the cloud. And all it really means is that it's my storage somewhere else. It's like right. renting a storage unit. You got it exactly, mm -hmm. you know. And it doesn't mean that my stuff's not full of, <laughs> of music and movies and everything, right? My local devices, be it my phone or my computers or all my computers or, or now also, you know, my multimedia system. You know, I get to work with uh, some interesting stuff. I have clients that have, you know, the house is wired for sound. And so there's storage there just for their local music. And then they'll have the cloud music. And then you get these really fancy players, let's call them players, where you're able to play something different in each room and from different sources, either on the internet or on your local storage or radio stations or it gets dizzying. It really does because pretty much anything is possible with the internet. No, that's, it's, it's scary. <laughs> I'm not going to well, lie. It's really scary. <laughs> yeah. At some point there is one thing that's scary for old timers like me that, you know, we used to store our stuff on floppies. I don't know if you guys know. Floppies. Yeah. I remember floppy desks. You know, yeah, we, know. we had them. Yeah. Magnetic storage. And, and now we save them on little flash drives. I have a tiny one. It's as big as my thumbnail. Right. It's 128 gig and it was cheap. I'm like, we get this crazy storage. So one of the other problems I see is where's my stuff? Yeah. Where's my stuff? And is it secure? Right. Right. Now I can tell you what I, I do a lot of work for people that way in terms of, uh, well, just an example. Last week, client calls me, says, I don't know where my client files went. I said, your client files, isn't that like 20 years worth of legal documents? He's a lawyer. He's like, yeah, yeah, where are they? I'm like, did you delete them? Yeah, I deleted them. I thought I could bring them back right away. You know, so there's a no. bit of there. And this is, you know, part of my consulting is that disaster recovery. Sometimes the disaster is not a hacker. Sometimes, right. the <laughs> Sometimes it's just stupidity. 
you clicked yourself on a delete for a drive that doesn't have a recycle bin. Were you able to get it back or was he? Of course I was. Of course. course. (laughs) And it wasn't even that hard because we had technology in place. This was a network attached storage. So I guess you could call that a personal cloud, meaning it's reachable by all the machines on the network. You know, this is a company. So they have, let's say, 10 computers. They can all use the same files and view them at the same time. I qualify that as a personal cloud, meaning you can reach it. And the technology that was supporting that, that you know, network attached storage drive allowed me to take snapshots, snapshots of the files. So when he deleted them all, the snapshots still existed from noon. It was 2 p.m. At noon, all the files were still there. So I just said, go back in time to noon and all the files were back. Right. So that's, that's crazy. A bit, so that's a bit of security there. And, and I think personal it, stuff. Yeah. I'm, we're talking like pictures or, you know, I have a saying that's really kind of sad. If you use computers and devices, you know, electronic devices, it's not if you're going to lose data, it's when, you know, for most of us, we've learned, it's we've terrifying. learned <laughs> the hard way, which is if you lose pictures that were digital and you had only one copy, they're gone forever. They're just bits and they're just nothing. They don't exist, not even like a burned picture on paper. And so that makes it scary, which brings us to the, you know, the next topic that's important is backup, right? I always take a very defensive approach and this is now we're getting into cybersecurity, right? So the internet, wonderful. Everybody can access it. Great. Oh, everybody can access it. Not so great. Because then we get the scammers and the hackers and maybe even our governments and oh, you know truth. people are you know people are able to look at our traffic right because those packets contain information let's say i'm transferring a file it might go out over a thousand packets but if you have the right equipment you know a computer program for it you can actually see let's call it the traffic because it really is you know the file that's going from my computer to my server or to my cloud and so that the whole thing of spying, you know, cyber espionage, it's all about that. It's about, you know, grabbing the traffic that's on the internet. And if you're at a critical junction on the internet, you'll see traffic from all over the world. You know, that's, this is the stuff that keeps me up at night. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> correct. So correct. scary. And, and so that's why I was talking about being defensive about all of this. You know, like personally, I'm not afraid of, the internet disappeared tomorrow, or if it got hacked, or if I got hacked. Why? Because I have multiple backups of the important stuff. And importantly, I have backup that's offline. So for example, I have, sorry, I have this little drive, little external drive, very, I think it's like 60 bucks now, two terabytes. And all my stuff is on here in multiple copies because I don't trust the internet. Yeah. The internet guy doesn't trust the internet, y'all. Because uh, it's just it's just too easy, you know, through other malevolent software, you know, we call malware. Uh, it's software that gets installed on your machine, usually by, you know, you clicking on something that looks innocent. Let's say in an email, somebody says an email. We see a lot of those. I see a lot of those fake email. It looks like it's coming from American Express. And, you know, it looks, you know, they put the logos there and it looks pretty, at first sight, the email looks all right. And then there'll always be a thing you got to click on. 
right? Because what does that click do? It runs a little script and then they can get onto your computer, meaning they get a piece of software on your computer and then they can do what they want, you know, either to harass you, you know, pop-ups and whatever else, to try to scam you money or, uh, you know, I see a lot of like fake services. Oh, you're due for your renewal for Microsoft Security Essentials. Well, that's a built-in piece of Windows. So why would you ever pay for that? But it is, you know, with the pandemic, especially, I think a lot of people not working, they've looked for creative ways, let's call it, to make money. Oh, don't even get me started on the yeah, spam calls I've been getting. So you said like emails because I've gotten fake emails where they'll be like, what looks like Amazon will send you something and say, oh, we noticed some weird purchases. Click on this link. What are some ways to see that it's fake or how can you tell if it's fake or not? Yeah, if we take, for example, the the, the Amazon scam, right? And typically I've seen that in many different flavors, which is they'll make you believe, let's say Citizens Bank, this is a local bank here in Massachusetts, will say, oh, your account's been compromised. We've frozen it. Please, you know, follow this link to clear it up. Well, that's also a, we call that a phishing email, P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G, you know, because they're trying to get information from you. They're trying to get you to enter your social security number, your birth date, uh, your full name, your address, whatever. They're gathering information to make lists for people to try to scam you. So number one, you know, number one advice, never click a link directly, right? If American Express sends me an email saying my account's locked because of XYZ, then obviously I can go to AmericanExpress.com or amex.com, whatever the, the real address of American Express or, or Citizens Bank or TD, you know, I can go to the genuine site that I know is real and then see if there's anything, you know, wrong with my account or, you know, the history or if there's a fraudulent payment or things like that. And so that's my approach is to always go to the source, never click in a message uh, pop-ups will also show up saying, oh, such and such, we've detected a virus, blah, 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 blah. And they make it look good. I actually spend quite a bit of money and time making them look good. Like you almost believe that it's, you know, pick one, McAfee, Norton, uh, any of the other security software, always to lure you in, get you to click on something to install nefarious software or direct you to a scamming website. Right. So my approach there is always to go to the source, do not click the link. Right. And in case of doubt, you know, call, use the phone. It's a little harder to hack the phones. So if I have the 800 number for my bank, I can call them directly and I'm, say, I'm getting a funny email. It says this and that. Anything weird on my account? Then the rep can right. tell me what's. Yeah. They ask me the verification. Right. You know, yep. The, the secret mm-hmm. question. So they know it's me. And then they can yeah. tell me, no, everything's fine. Your last charge was, you know, uh, Chipotle for fifteen ninety two. We love Chipotle. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's also good for them to know because then they can yeah, investigate it. For sure. Correct. We've had that opportunity too to, you know, go back to this, let's say a genuine business, a genuine bank, and let them know that somebody's posing as them and is, you know, trying to uh, trick people, trying to scam people. And uh, there's also something people don't think about. If you have a real scam and you've been scammed out of money, real money, you know, I had a client like this happen recently, actually. 
they were pretending to be the computer manufacturers, or let's say Dell or HP. And they were saying, oh yeah, we need to renew your uh, maintenance contract. And she's old and she's not, you know, she's 83 years old, lovely lady. But, you know, they attack the elderly because they think they don't remember anything and they get plenty of money. There's a special place in hell for them, just saying. I think so. And in that case, what we had to do is obviously we call the police and we describe, you know, she hired me, number one, to go find out what's going on here. And one thing they had done that really kind of scared me, they had been able to get enough information from her, including email address and password, to go into their, her email, uh, let's say, control panel. I don't know if you guys probably have experience with different ISPs, you know, internet service providers. But most emails, you can go choose your settings. You can choose, you know, what's your junk filter going to do? Uh, all that, you know, the, the spam filters. And one of the options there is, let's say you're changing email addresses. You can do what we call a forward. You know, just like you would forward real mail when you yeah. move. Yep. These guys, the hackers, had inserted a forward to themselves, to an email address of theirs, and then they went and signed up for a one of those Bitcoin banks account in her name. No way! No yes, with her email, and they were able to get the message from the bank to her email. You know, obviously deleted or whatever, so she doesn't see it. Sign up for an account and then use your credit card to fill that account up with a thousand dollars worth of bitcoins. The good news is she has insurance, and right? Notified and still, that's like terrifying. That is terrifying. Oh my because God! In this case, though, what I would say that happened is it's always the human factor, right? The technology itself would not allow them to do that because they couldn't, in a million years, you know, find out the password for a specific email. But because she gave them that information, all of a sudden the door was wide open for them to do that little, that little scam of wow. capturing her email address, using her credit card, signing up for you know. A, a, fortunately, it was just a thousand bucks, but still, still, that's you know they got away with it, which is right. really terrifying. Since we're kind of like talking about it in terms of passwords, what is a good password? How often should you change your passwords? How do you make a strong password? I guess, yeah. Well. That's a very good question. And I, uh, I always say it this way to my clients and to anyone in general. For me, I have three levels of passwords and, you know, and not specific passwords per se, but let's say I go to a site like, uh, I don't know, like a restaurant, whatever, I'm going to log in to order to, for pickup for a restaurant. I'll have what I call a level one password, which could be something simple as a word and a number. You know, in my case, it might be something like freedom 99. I like to do a word. And then if you need to capitalize, you can capitalize the first letter of that word and then you get numbers afterwards. Uh, so that's a level one for me. You know, level two, of course, is when you need a little more security, right? So then you'll make it longer. So that one would probably be like, you know, eight to 12 characters. I would have uppercase, lowercase numbers and also uh, punctuation stuff, you know, like the uh, exclamation at dollar sign, uh, hashtag, uh, you know, percent, all the, all these things that are above the numbers on your keyboard. So that one might end up being, you know, you know, rooster 24 exclamation point, or, you know, you, you build it yourself. Uh, not necessarily something personal because the hackers would definitely try to have 
something personal. Like I'd never put my birthday as a pin. That'd be crazy. Six digit, right? Too easy. So you want to kind of randomize and there's something that you can put a hint to. Right. So I might have one that I need to put a hint to, I would say T hero 65. Right. Then I would know that's techno hero $65 sign or something like that. Another thing is I never want to know my clients passwords. That's their business to manage their passwords. That's a good point. And I do the same with mine, you know, protect your passwords. And in my case, I want there to be no idea that I could get in there and do some nefarious stuff. Obviously, most of my clients have had me for 10 years and more. And so there's the trust is there already. And that also circles back to the cybersecurity. You know, how much do you trust the entity you're dealing with? Right. Do I trust yeah. Google that much? Do I trust uh, my ISP? You know, in my case, mm -hmm. it's Comcast. Do I trust Comcast with passwords? And mm -hmm. you know, I always kind of look at that. And, and one of the things that's good, you know, that like Apple's always pushed for privacy and security. And that gets, you know, some people get upset about that, but I think it's right. So we have to protect our privacy, you know, and we have to make sure that we don't get hacked and we don't get taken advantage of. You know, a lot of young people, a lot of your generation are a lot better about this because I think you came to it thinking, this is wonderful, but I don't trust anybody on the internet. So you say that, but then we post yeah. every thought we have in the entire world and every little thing that happens to us online. <laughs> yeah, but but that stuff is, you know, it's it's news. It's not some information that somebody That's true. Use. It's not, you know, I couldn't use that information to say, oh, Genevieve's password must be this. Right. Or I probably don't even know your email address. So that's no. step one. Yeah. I don't know where you live on the internet. Yeah. Right. I was going to say, I'm curious because I know there's a lot of apps where they can save all your passwords. What do you think of autosave in mm. general, especially, you know, even not yeah. thinking about the apps? You know, so what I will say there is I don't like them in theory, but in practice, you know, I, well, I'll show you. This is, I've got two sheets, a very small type of all my passwords. I hope you can't focus on this, but, you know, I do write down all my passwords. And I do also write down when they were changed. So I have a clue. You know, what I do is kind of a, a semi-lazy way of doing it. No, that's will, smart. That's a lot more like, effort than I'm putting in. Same. I will have like <laughs> root words. Let's say maybe half a dozen root words. And then I have different numbers that mean different things to me. And then I'm a big fan of exclamation point at the end or dollar sign at the beginning. Yeah. That's yeah. my passwords. Yeah. The other thing too is, yes, I have a Google account. Yes, I use Chrome and I let all my stuff be synced, as they say, between the different browsers. You know, oh, by the way, what is a browser? Well, a browser is very simply a specialized program that can display the web you know, by using the internet to transfer the data from, let's say, ABC or Apple.com or whatever. Now, the, the browser understands the language, HTML. It understands other, what we would call protocols, other ways, like we have JavaScript. We had, for a while there, Flash. We had different technologies that come in to try to make our internet experience more dynamic. You know, or you can have forms that you can fill out you know, that form is on your computer when you do it, but when you see, you know, okay, it gets sent. Mm 
So all these underlying technologies that allow us to use the internet, right? Part of that is there's some security surrounding that. We've all heard of cookies, right? What's a cookie? It's a little file that gets left on your device to remind the website where you were last or what was your, you know, like I, la I last looked at a Volkswagen Rabbit. Right, it helps the algorithm. Whatever. It gives them context to where I was as a, as a person browsing their website. Is it just on their, their website or can they see any website? So for instance, if I log into Old Navy and yeah. I, they're like, accept all their cookies, they can see the last time I was there and what kind of clothing items I looked through. Yeah. Can they see where else I went on the internet? Correct. And that's, that's what people call yeah. the, the cross-site cookies. There's a, there's a big deal about this, which is, I don't know if you guys have the iOS 14 on your phones. I'm assuming one of you has an iPhone. So iOS 14 gives us this option to say, do you want to allow this website to share your information with others? You know, this is the bit where Apple's protecting us from privacy. And the answer there is no, ask the website to not, not share the information. I'm going to go do that right now. Hang on one second. I'm Honestly, I'm I feel like sometimes I think a thought like, oh, I really want ice cream or, oh, I really want to buy like a new necklace for myself. And then I just keep getting constant ads. Dude, I it's insane. I was talking, I was video chatting with the mom of the kid I used to nanny while I was home. And we were talking about sushi. I shit you not. Two minutes later, my Uber Eats app was like, Kibo Sushi is doing a buy one, get one free. And I was like, love my Kibo. Phone, my phone, Kibo's great. Yeah, I was like, I, my phone is listening to me. I am, hate am this. I, yeah. Am I going to freak you out by saying that's real? Yeah. No, phone no, no. I know it's real. Your yeah, phone is real. You. I think we've all experienced this, which is why I'm always, I marvel at the people that put the, the little Amazon devices or. Uh, yeah. Is Alexa listening you know, to all you? All these, those, these home devices that listen to you. I marvel at that because don't you realize it's just whoever, you know, Google, Amazon, all these guys really want to just, you know, they'll say, oh, we're learning English. We're having the computers learn English so they can understand everyone. Yes, part of that is true, but that's just an excuse to collect data. You know, the, now yeah. we get into the big data, right? Oh, we don't have, that's what's, like a whole other episode. Yeah. Oh what's God. that all about? Yeah. You know, in a nutshell, it's because our data is valuable for marketing and sales purposes purposes. Just want to make sure that our listeners know when should you change passwords? How often? I give myself, you know, it depends on the frequency of the use of that website. So for example, I'll use my banking website maybe three times a month, you know, so that password is completely different from my other passwords. You know, uh, so back to the saving of the passwords. Yes, I'm a little lazy. I save my passwords in my Google profile you know, how they, they sync it up and they know my passwords. They don't know my passwords for everything though, because there is an option to say, do not remember this password, you know, as opposed to you remember me. And uh, so the banking stuff, for example, I never let them remember passwords because there's, there's real money attached to that. Uh, the purchasing stuff, you know, like my Amazon password is also protected that way. And back to the question of how often should I change? This could become a full-time job if I change my, let's say that I've got a hundred different passwords for all the different sites I interact with or the last hundred websites I've interacted with. You know, some of it is legit. Like I'll keep them go. Amazon, of course, it can be a weekly thing. 
uh, the bank maybe three times a month. You know, there's things like the IRS. It's usually four times a year. That's it. You know, so some of those passwords, I really wouldn't have to change very often or ever, you know, because typically there'll be a completely different password than other websites. I'll have them written down. So literally what I do is I have a, an, a protected Excel spreadsheet with all the, and then the format simply goes, you know, website slash contacts. Then I have username, password, pin, notes. And then I can write all my, my specifics in there and give myself some notes that, oh yeah, on the, on the, the Massachusetts Turnpike, you know, the, the fast pass, uh, I don't know, easy pass they call it now. You know, I have an account that has both an account number, a username, the password, but there's also a pin. So I've got all that on one line and I have it stored in that Excel spreadsheet that is password protected with a good password. So if I lose if I lose access to that spreadsheet, you know I'm down to paper, which I do have them on paper, because wow. you never know, right? You need you the backup them on paper. I need a what backup. if your electricity's yeah. out? What if your internet yeah. thing is down? You never know. Right. Yeah. Right. In terms of saving stuff, is it safe to save your cards to a website like Amazon or a clothing website? or you know, Uber Eats or anything like that? Or is well, it better to put them in manually every time you use well, them? Well, it depends what type of card it is, right? Because the protection for debit cards is usually much less than for credit cards. You know, Because credit cards, basically part of the agreement is you will not be responsible for any charges that you did not initiate. And if you can say, like I had a, an example of a credit card, very simple. I live in Massachusetts. I shop locally. And all of a sudden there's a charge from Disneyland on my credit card, one of the little shops at Disneyland, not like online or anything. So obviously that was a mistake or somebody used my number and I was not responsible. I didn't have to worry about that $300, you know? So that's the protection of the credit cards. Usually they go and, you know, they get the money back basically because they can do that we, uh, charge back. They charge back and the vendor is left, you know, without that money. Another part too, and this is funny that we bring this up, fraud. Uh, my son, Justin, you know, is just a little older than you. And for a while, he worked at a local bank and he became the, the, uh, the fraud specialist. So he was the one that was chasing for the debit cards, you know, fraudulent charges, uh, scams. You know, there was one that was classic. He always laughed. He's like, yeah, the old lady signed up for the skincare subscription. You know, right? Because you got you got subscriptions. You think it's a one-time thing. Then the second month happens and they're still taking 70 bucks. No, it's an auto charge, yeah. It's an auto charge because you didn't cancel in 30 days, blah, blah, blah. So it is a pain. And there's a lot of people working in the background at credit cards and banks to keep that stuff straight. You know, one of the things I do, I don't save credit card information on any computer of mine. Good to know. Right. And if I were to, then I would use Google Pay, which is essentially just a front. They store your credit card information and they become the pay, the payor, you know, the person that pays for that, that purchase. The other part, of course, is Apple Pay is very convenient. And Apple Pay, I would trust more actually than Google Pay. So that's safe, you would say, to yeah. have like on your phone and then put against a debit machine and pay that way if you're out at the mall or something. Correct. And I Got would say, it. I would say do not sign up your debit card for Apple Pay or Google Pay. Okay. So the protection there is very limited. And once the money is out, it's out. That's it. You can't right. Pay 
Whereas yeah. the credit card, you can Whereas pay at the end card, of the month. Whereas the credit card has all these protections in there and they have the charge back and they have this and that. So I would say, okay to put a credit card on a wallet app. So you were talking quickly about like fraud and like theft and like, how can you prevent identity theft as much as possible? And if you are a victim of identity theft online, mm-hmm. what can you do? Where do you go? Who do you talk to? Yep. So there's different services that are sold out there that will tell you that, oh, we're monitoring 24 seven and this and that. Well, the good news is you can all monitor your credit file. I don't know how it is in Canada. I'm assuming it's the same thing that here, for example, we get one credit report a year for free. And a lot of credit cards now actually will offer you the, the monitoring for free or a very small fee. Uh, so you can see your credit file basically every day. You know, and if you see anything suspicious on there, obviously somebody might have grabbed your identity. The other part of that is there's a lot of laws now here about privacy and you cannot reveal anything. As a bank, they can't reveal anything. They have to shred everything. So I'm not worried about the the institutions that deal with our private financial data. So I've had an experience many, many years ago, maybe 20 years ago, where somebody had opened a credit card in my name and I'm not sure how they did it, but they had the combination of, you know, full name, birth date, social security number. You know, what I try to do is always- How does someone get your social security number? Well, maybe they work at a bank and they saw it, but they weren't supposed to save it. Shady bitches. I mean, and and some places, you know, like let's say you, uh, well, the IRS obviously wants to see your social security number. Maybe the tax preparer saw your number. Maybe some people that get to see your private information are moonlighting, let's call it moonlighting, to sell your information to information brokers. You know, it's all illegal, obviously. And it's all nefarious. You know, so what I do is periodically I'll check my credit file. And of course, I'm established and my credit card companies and my bank know my pattern, which I don't know if you've ever had. Like I certainly on the credit card apps that I have on my phone, I set up different alerts. You know, if show me any purchase above. Uh, show me payment due. Show me, you know, the convenience. Yeah. So that's a good, that's a really good tip to like have your bank know what you do yeah. and stuff, yeah. you know, they can really get to know. Well, there's you. also, you know, there's also payment methods that I find safer, you know, and I'll name the big one PayPal. Because of my eBay activity, I've used PayPal for a very long time. And the nice thing there is you can actually put money in. So you don't even, you don't even have to involve a card of any kind. You can have a balance with PayPal. Yeah, you don't earn interest, but we're talking small balances to do, in my case, to buy a lot of computer parts for repairs and this and that. And that I feel completely comfortable with because PayPal always sends me alerts as to what's happening. You know, I actually know before and my before the person I'm paying that the money's gone already. So I found that comforting to use one of those services as an intermediary. So I don't have to deal necessarily with the end person I'm paying because I don't want to give my credit card numbers to just anybody. No, you shouldn't. No, of course not. So one way to know is if you're starting to see weird purchases on your bank accounts or things like that. And then if you're kind of noticing it, do you call your bank? Do you call the credit card company? Yeah. So the, the corrective actions are basically always the same, right? So we notice it one way or another, either at the end of the month when we we look at our bank statement or throughout the day, because I would assume your generation, just like me, 
we look at our banking pretty often because I need to know how much is in there. I do. And I like to know, how you know, am I okay? What it, uh, the bills, did the, did the bills go through? Did the, right? And so I'm aware of what's going on with that. And because I'm aware, then I can catch it. But once I catch it and there's, let's say, a fraudulent charge or an incorrect charge is what I've seen more than, than you know, let's say it's a, it's a charge for, uh, $27.92 and all of a sudden it comes back as $29.72 you know you know that's an honest mistake just they flip the digits or you know you get we give them the benefit of the doubt but then I can get back to the vendor or I can get back to PayPal and raise the alert say listen this purchase here's the you know here's the uh, the order the invoice was for $27.92 not $29.72 you know that's the that's the least of our worries you know a couple bucks i'm not going to be too worried about that but in the case for example of a real fraud where somebody opened an account in your name you know you really want to get it documented with the police you know because what most people don't know is your homeowners slash renters policy typically has coverage for theft and so you would then turn around you know subject to a deductible and this and that you could then turn around to your homeowners policy or your renters policy you know, to say I've been robbed this much and then you have the documentation, the police record, you know, you can even document how they did it, which was the case I did for this client, the elderly lady. I documented exactly how they did it. And, and these days there's always a, a cyber person, you know, a person, a technology person in each police department, and at least the bigger ones, you know, like we have one here in Westwood where that's all he does all day long helping people with uh, problems, you know, cyber problems, fraud, all that kind of stuff. It, because it is useful for the police to know as well. Uh, I live in a reasonably small town, you know, very tight knit. And we have the little weekly newspaper and often you'll see, you know, the town administrator reminds you that, and then you'll see, okay, if this is, sounds too good to be true, if they want payment right away, if you have to call back a specific number, if, you know, all like the telltale signs of a fraud, you know, they'll just remind the elderly actually, and some of the young people too, but don't, you know, if it feels wrong, just don't do it. Because we have kind of that third sense. We know there's, there's a certain way that business process works. You know, if I'm buying something, typically it's, I'll order it. They'll say, we got it in stock. Where's your payment? I'll pay them. Okay. It's going to ship. Here's a tracking number. Okay. I can track it. Oh, it reached my door. Everybody's good. So if anything that deviates from the standard process for me would raise flags, you know, and sometimes they will appeal to people's, let's call it creed. Right. And they'll try to make you part of a scam of theirs or you know, you put in 10 bucks here and you'll get 300 bucks at the end in a pyramid schemes. And I think we've all, we've all been exposed to those. Through the yeah. Movies. Yeah. They we do show a whole episode on them. That people do, <laughs> right? it, you know, they are called con for a reason. It's a confidence scheme. They gain your confidence <gasps> and then they, then they, they get you. Yeah, that's why we call it a con, by the way. I never knew that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I was today years old when I learned that. (laughs) I was today years old. Oh my gosh. Um, Topic. Sorry. um, On the topic of um, like identity theft, I've been victim to this. I know a lot of people who's been victim to this catfish accounts. 
Yep. What do you do if somebody is stealing your photos, creating an, an online persona that's not you? Right. right. Well, you, what do you do? What I've seen done, you know, and I guess that's all you can do. Maybe not. Maybe you can contact Facebook and say this. I am such and such. I've been on Facebook for, you know, I just named that platform, but I've been on the platform since this. I'm the real deal. Somebody's created a fake account and is doing, you know, it could be defamation. It could be all kinds of different things that are illegal or just trolling you. Please shut down that account. And they will. They will. So you, whoever owns the website, you know, they always, I love that bit. And this is part of the news a little bit is that, you know, the, the people like Facebook or, you know, the, the people that host these different platforms, you know, Instagram, I don't know them all because I'm, I'm not on all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that host always say, oh, oh, we're not responsible for the contents in here. Which is Instagram. <laughs> it's like, yeah, which is literally uh, wait a minute, yeah. buddy, this content is on your servers. Yes, I know you don't want to hire any, um, anybody to monitor that, you know, but at least have the decency to shut off the other account while I'm telling you that somebody's lifting, you know, my content to benefit themselves because yeah, they have a very hands-off approach, which is bullshit. It, yeah, which yeah. Is, it boils down to, you know, who's responsible here. And it's, I think it's really unfair. And this is like a political statement, but I think it's really unfair that they're hands-off. Like, you know, you're in my house. I'm responsible for what happens to you. Right. If you're, yeah. if a kid drowns in your pool, you're Correct. responsible for them. Yeah. You know, and you can't like, be like, but, well, they decided to jump in. <laughs> but it's like any business these days or many, many people, they just want the benefit and they don't want the responsibility. I, I think that's, like, unfortunately, yeah. that's a societal problem. Yeah. With technology, what you would do is contact the host, right? Just like I've had this with email addresses. Somebody somehow is able to get an email address that was mine or that is mine. They've redirected or uh, I had one recently with a Google account that, you know how Google, if you lose your password and, and you're not the recovery phone, pretty much you've lost your Google account. You know, so what you do there is you can contact them or you can make sure that, you know, we talk about two factor authentication, right? Where you're going to have a little app like, in this case, I have the Microsoft Authenticator. What that is, and we talk about two-factor. Now, what does that mean? Two-factor means you have two ways that are separate to validate who you are, to validate your identity. So for example, I never do any banking without two-factor authentication. What does that mean? That means that I'm on the website. I go to you know, debtimsavings.com. I log in. You know, username, yes, second screen. Oh, they show me a little picture that I chose so that I know that they are the genuine Dedham Savings. They're the genuine bank. So that's also another thing that banks are doing now to make make us know that it's the real website, not a fake website. All right, so I see my little picture. Mine is like a winter scene because I'm Canadian and I love snow. Uh, And then I'll enter my password. Then they say, okay, wait. And then there's another box that pops that says, what's the code? Now that code came as a text to my cell phone. That's the second factor. Not only did I have to enter a password on the website, I have to know the code that got texted to my phone. So this would be very hard to break for a scammer. I mean, they'd have to have, right, my password, my username. They'd have to have my physical phone. Pretty, pretty hard to be. It's a lot of work for them. A lot to... of work 
Yeah. And not a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I've seen and I've seen so other true. places too that do the opposite. I have clients that are very wealthy and they deal with some, you know, the banks that deal in millions, you know, not the regular banks. And what happens there is every the time the fancy wants, people banks. Yeah. Every time he wants to log into his private bank account, he gets a phone call from an actual live person. Is that you trying to get on, Mr. X? That's money. He says that's what money can buy you. Exactly. Well, they get the real good security. Right. But we can get really very, very good security by doing two factor. So I would say any banking, you want to do two factor uh, credit card. Same thing, you know, like I can log right. into the credit card app here. But because I'm on the phone, I'm already self registering. They know that I'm on my device. And you've often seen that, too, with Apple accounts where Apple knows which devices you own. So that if you change your password from a device that's not your own, they say alert, alert, alert. Fun fact, uh, my Netflix got hacked into probably two or three years ago. And how I knew is because they were like, your passwords changed. And then all the shows changed to Spanish. And I was like, I don't speak Spanish. It's crazy what they'll hack into. But also you didn't change your password. Right. And that's how I alerted it. And we called Netflix and they handled it. Yeah. Which comes back to the password sheet. Right. I know that my Netflix password I set up initially. And yes, it is a weak password. Right. it's, It's just a word and a number. Mine's not weak. I'm scared now. <laughs> so now it's not weak because you've right. said, no, I'm going to make it difficult. Sometimes you got to learn the hard way. And that's it. And the good news there is you have control to call the actual. Right. Yeah. The yeah, person yeah. you're paying money to should be responsible. Amen. For your and your identity. Right. On their platform. Um, in terms of like also saying safe before we start talking about like viruses and hacking, do you have any like quick tips on how people can protect their things when they're on public Wi-Fi? Should you use public Wi-Fi? Yeah. yeah, public Wi-Fi is fine. What you need to make sure, and this is this is advice for the Windows users, you know, the, the Mac works a little differently in terms of security. And maybe this takes us into the security of devices. Uh, the Mac is what we call a closed system. So anything in a Mac that is essential is protected from hacking or whatever. You know, it's got a core that is unreachable by regular programs. And... So that makes it a little more resistant to viruses and things like that. Now, as far as being on a public Wi-Fi, you know, we all do it. We all do it, it's just convenient. What you need to make sure is that your security settings on the device, you know, be it a phone or a computer, that you have your firewall up, right? So for example, on my Windows computers, there's a Windows firewall, which is part of the operating system. And it has essentially two modes. It has the open mode, which means I'm on my local network and I trust the other devices on this network, right? And in that case, I rely on my router to do the firewalling for the whole network. Meaning, you know, where's the guard? The guard is on my device if I'm on a public network. So I go to Starbucks, I log in, you know, it's Starbucks, it's whatever, or I go to... A lot of people now have you know, open Wi-Fi. I go there, but I know that my firewall, my local device firewall is up. And that will stop you know, 95% of the attacks because that's what firewalls are for. They see traffic coming from the internet, from the outside, trying to get into your building, you know, your address, your device. And they're like, no, you're not authorized. We didn't ask you. you know, how do firewalls do that? 
And this comes back to the very beginning when I explained the internet that it is, we're sending messages back and forth between computers using a specific language. You know, it's a language over a channel. Well, if I didn't initiate, let's say a browse of CNN.com and CNN.com sends me a packet, you know, we don't know what's in the packet. Then my firewall can say, hey, hey, we didn't send this request out, you go. So they don't even cross. They're the like firewall. the bouncer. They are the bouncer, exactly. There you go. What I'm trying to explain is the bouncer is in different places depending on the environment you're in. So on a private network, meaning a secured Wi-Fi or your own local hardwired network or your local home network, you know, Wi-Fi, uh, the bouncer can be at the edge, meaning between you and the internet, between the network and the internet. Now, when you're out in the wild connecting to open Wi-Fi, well, now you need the bouncer to be in your device, which it is. If you look in your phone, there's usually a firewall setting and it'll be something like, if you're on a public Wi-Fi or unsecured Wi-Fi, we're gonna turn on the firewall no matter what. So that's the built-in security. And that's part of the discussion I wanted to have is to say, there is a lot today of built-in security. And oh, by the way, you don't need to buy extra security. Are you because sure? You, because yes. Because Positive. If you, if you think you've been polluted, let's call it polluted, because it's not always nefarious stuff. Sometimes it's just a pop-up ads and you know, tick you off. Um, if you think you've had one of these in your system, phone, computer, tablet, there are tools that will go and scan your device and make sure that there is nothing unusual about it. Let's call it unusual because it's not always, you know, there's really, these days, I'll sum it up by saying it's all about the money. You know, there's no money in viruses because they're purely destructive. How much fun can you get out of messing up somebody's computer and having them, they have to reload Windows or they have to reload iOS or they have, to, you know, there's no money in that. So now they're all really geared towards money. And so they want to get in, maybe put a little ad, oh, we'll sell you something, you know, this magnificent vanishing night cream and you're going to look like you're 12 years old. <laughs> well, the ads kind of thing. Or they will try to get information from you so that they can either right. resell yeah. it or use it. You know? So you got to think about sharing your information. You know, who could use this for what purpose? Got it. Well, I guess we're not going to ask you uh, what are some good antivirus softwares you can tell our listeners about. No, no, but no. I, will, I will put a plug in. Yes. You know, I talk about different scanners. Now, these are usually free. They will be with the big, the big names, you know, so the Nortons, the McAfee, the, uh, you know, there's many others that are reputable. Avast. I think I use Avast. One caution there. and people don't Tell me, I'll delete it right now. <laughs> people, people often don't think of this, but where is your antivirus product built? What do you if mean? If I say Kaspersky, what do you think for a country for Kaspersky? France. French? I don't know. France? No, it's no. Russian. Oh, stop. I'm deleting it right now. It's going away. It's Russian. So I say that because there is certainly in the security community, the Genevieve, idea. Genevieve, you're like. Oh, look at that. I'm loading up a Russian antivirus. Now, is there a backdoor in here? I mean, I don't know if you guys know the word backdoor, but it'd be essentially a way for an outside actor to gain access or control of your machine. 
just a tiny little piece of software is needed, tiny little piece of software. And heck, you just saw the antivirus. Huh. Maybe it's in there. So in other words, it's okay to be paranoid because who can we trust, right? Usually I can trust the people I bought the stuff from. So I right. trust Microsoft because I could sue Microsoft. I'll trust Apple because I could sue Apple, you know? And what I find is the basic security that's in there now, you know, the Mac by virtue of how it's built, it's a closed system. Now Windows okay. is an open system, but for many, many years now, Microsoft itself has provided solid antivirus software built in. Okay, so I'm going to delete that the second this is over. Um, I already paid for a year (laughs) subscription. It's fine. Well, you're you're lucky you got away with only one year because I have clients that pay for multi-years and they insist that we run it. And I'm like, this thing is adding nothing to your life. It's slowing down your computer and you're paying for it. What are you doing? So I don't need, I don't need anti-track. I don't need uh, any, I don't need VPN. I don't need any of that. Oh, well, no, you might need VPN though. I'm glad you bring that up. Okay. Cause I that was our next VPN. question. That was our <laughs> next question. <laughs> so what is a VPN, right? So we talked earlier how the internet is computers talking to each other. Now, when they talk to each other over the internet, you know, they send packets of information, you know, little files, they send little files and they reach my computer or they reach your computer, depending on where we're going. Now, these little packets are not encrypted. Just like the same thing I've said about email. Email is like screaming in the middle of the cafeteria. Everybody can see it. Email has never been private, never designed to be private. So in general, how do we solve the privacy problem online on an open channel? Because this is what, it's like CB radio. Everybody can hear you, right? So you have an open channel that we call the internet. You're sending information over it, unencrypted, meaning not scrambled or anything. It's readable either by a computer or by a person. And uh, most of the time it doesn't matter because I'm browsing websites and the website's a public resource and no attacker, let's call them attackers. No attacker would wanna get the stream of data from CNN.com. They can get their own stream. You know, there's nothing they can steal there. Now, VPN is a virtual private network. You know how I talk within your building, within your home, within your school, within the business, you are behind a firewall that the router provides. The router is the guy that makes it possible for 10 computers on this side to reach the internet and all get their traffic sorted out properly so that Joe's machine doesn't get my web page, right? That's what routers do. They route the information to the correct device. Now the VPN creates a virtual private network between my computer and the quote unquote server, other computer on the other side. How does it do that? It creates a channel. We call it sometimes a tunnel because it goes with the internet but the internet can't do anything with it other than transport it, other than send the data over. And what happens is the contents of that channel is fully encrypted back and forth. So the VPN also allows you to appear, and this is the important and valuable thing for most of us. The VPN allows you to appear as though you are on the other computer. So if we're talking about, let's say different VPNs, there's commercial ones, like I'll just name NordVPN because it's a big one here. There's plenty of other ones that provide that. What they do, 
is they have servers all over the world in each different country. So for example, being in the US, I cannot watch Canadian TV because of licensing issues. But I could certainly subscribe to a VPN service. Yeah, that's what, what I What does that do? It creates a connection between my computer and their computer so that I appear to be in Canada and I can watch mm. any show I want. Exactly. Or I, appear, or I can appear to be in Italy. Or right. I can, you know, what they do there is they overcome geography with an encrypted channel to a machine that resides in that country. And the other use, the other big use for VPN obviously is, let's say I'm a remote worker. My wife is a remote worker. She's been a remote worker since before the pandemic. How do corporations secure the traffic? Well, they create a virtual private network, a VPN. So on her end, she has a VPN client, which makes the, the it creates a new network adapter is what it does. And so you can, send all your traffic through that. Right, so and they essence, can't track you. Yeah, in essence, she is on the corporate network. It's as good as if she was in the building in Boston, right? But we can be in the middle of Maine or we can be in Tahiti, whatever you name it. Yeah. Again, that business of your presence is in whatever you're connected to. And because it's encrypted, nobody can track what you're doing. Got and it. actually what you're, what's happening there is you're going to the tunnel, and then reaching that network. On that network, if you were to browse the internet, you're going through that router. So you're behind a couple of different firewalls. The security is very much increased. And also because it's encrypted, it can't be corrupted. Because if a packet is encrypted, it gets to the other side, it gets checked before it gets decrypted. If the checksum doesn't match, it gets tossed and a resend is, is sent to the other side. So a VPN is worth it. A VPN is worth it, especially if it's a couple of dollars a month or whatever. They're very yeah. cheap now. They can be very cheap. Also, too, fun tip, if you watch YouTubers or anything like that, a lot of them are sponsored by like NordVPN or Surfshark yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You can get codes. Sometimes you can get like six months freer, right. whatever. No, um, exactly. Yeah. Can you recommend a VPN that you like? Yeah. What, do you use one? I do not use one yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. One of the research I'm doing now is actually into... It's similar to this, but this is a tangent. You know, when remote workers are working from home, they actually get what we call a remote desktop. So the whole desktop, including the icons and the programs and this and that, for example, my wife, she's running nothing locally, but, a, but essentially a fancy browser, which is the remote desktop program, the remote desktop client. But she really is operating on a desktop that lives in a server in Boston. You know, she works for a Boston company. And so her desktop is remote. And that's another way to be secure is that anybody working remotely is typically on a VPN for corporate security and also for, you know, the company's private business is private. So you establish essentially, the VPN is like wiring you directly into the machine on the server, right? It's all, it's done virtually through software, but that's what it is. It's like you're in the Boston office instead of being, you know, in the burbs. It fakes you out, it fakes it out. It fakes it out. Got it. So yeah, the VPN is very valuable and I will tease you with the following. If you work in any corporate environment, you probably have heard of Azure, Microsoft Azure. So it is a internet-based way of computing, of reaching a server, right? Of reaching a corporate resource. 
that's I'm simplifying it terribly. But upcoming on August 2nd, actually, Microsoft is going to release a product they call Windows 365. And now what is Windows 365? It is a service you will subscribe to, from what I understand, and you will get a remote desktop on one of their servers that will be permanent to you that you can use from any device. Mac, oh, wow. Mac. So stuff's getting even more virtual. Good. <laughs> the beauty with that is you don't need to worry wow. about backup. Right. Yeah. Unless, you know, periodically you'd want to download your files. Of course. A device, a device, either your phone or your. So I think that's going to free a lot of people to be. Wow. You know, we can we can all be. Uh, what is it? What's the expression? Cyber nomads. Tomorrow I can fly to, you know, San Francisco and I can be working just the same. That's great. That's just good to the know. Same. So we're not constrained. And I think and this is my little green plug for that. I think it's a wonderful thing if I could move to Vermont and work for a big company in Boston. Mm-hmm. Or, or move in the middle of Kansas. Where my it cancels is, the commute. You don't yeah. commute my anymore. House is yeah. You know, my house is 150 instead of being 700. Right. You know, I think it's going to be good that we can all kind of spread out. And, yeah. Uh, less congestion because I don't know about Toronto, but the city here is back in full swing and it's insane. Yeah, it's pretty crazy here. The traffic is worse than it was before the pandemic. <laughs> it is. Everyone's climbing at the walls. Yeah. So the last few questions we're going to ask you are just like about kind of like viruses and hacking. So what are some signs you might have a virus on your device or you've been hacked? Okay. We use our devices every day, all day long, right? We intuitively know how long a certain process is going to take. You know, if it takes four seconds to open email, or if it takes 10 seconds to uh, open a complex website or the VPN or whatever, you know, you, you kind of know that. And then you'll see basically a slowdown because anytime you add something to be processed by the computer, you know, and, and again, I can go back to the, what is a computer? Okay, a computer is simply a little engine, runs at a fixed speed, processes instructions to do things electronically, right? So if you ask it to do more things like there's malware in your computer, there's a hijacker, there's a virus, you'll notice a drop in performance. You may or may not, but most of us do because we know our computers I think we know our computers sometimes better than we know the people around us because we're interfacing with them all day long. And so what you'll find is there's gonna be a loss of performance. And then the other one we see also is the user interface, you know, whether it be on the phone or a browser or even the desktop itself will be sluggish or there'll be funny uh, artifacts you know, you'll see little windows pop up and go away. You'll see, you know, you're like, what's going on here? You know, if you have that feeling that what's going on here, then it's the time to go and do a malware scan. You know, and, and I'll plug in a name, and this is the one I use and recommend. It's Malwarebytes. So you go to malwarebytes.com. There is a free version that is a scan only, meaning you use it when you, when you run it, you use it. It doesn't stay in the background. You know, because I'm, I'm a gamer, I'm a performance guy. I don't like to run programs that take my performance away. You know, part of why I'm not running any of the big commercial antivirus, because they slow down your computer. They do. You know, it's yeah. the old joke. Why do I go buy a Porsche 
drive to Home Depot and load 500 pounds of bricks. Right. It's good. And no. Yeah. I keep it light and lean. Light and lean. And when I need to scan, I use the tools like Malwarebytes. And typically what you'll find, you'll be shocked, number one. And it's available for the Mac. It's available for the PC. I'm not sure they have a version for iOS. They may, though. There's other sites that do that where they they look inside at the stuff that would be abnormal in the computer. And then they will point things like uh, malevolent cookies, uh, you know, literally programs that want to run in the background and open a remote control to your computer or programs that want to redirect your internet browsing through a certain server. Like, uh, you know, you've seen those, the, oh, download our search engine, it's greatest. And the search engine is really just a way for them to get all your traffic through. And then they may or may not send it to the final destination. You know, so that's really hijacking. So your browser can be hijacked that way with, you know, add-ons, extensions, we call them. Uh, so there, what you want to do is a periodic scan. For me, it's a monthly scan. Typically, what I do is I scan and then I do a hard backup to my external drive because I know that at that point, my computer was clean. Right? And because it was clean, I'm, I trust my backup. And if something blows up the next day, I'm okay because I have my full backup. Right. And my full backup, I have what we call bare metal recovery. My computer could blow up and burn down and whatever. I just need to go buy a new one. And then I load my stuff on it. Period. Can we test that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, we can. For, we insurance can. Come For insurance purposes. Yeah, exactly. I'll pull, I'll pull my hard drive out of it. I mean, right. What good is a backup that you don't test? Right. Yeah. Oh, I've always, you know, as, a, as an IT professional, I've always made sure that, yeah, it's a comfy feeling to have a backup, but can you restore from it? Right. So and everyone, all our listeners go blow up your computer. I'm just kidding. Don't. <laughs> No, ask yourself the question. If this computer disappeared today, got stolen, whatever, what have I lost? What if the hard drive crashes? What have right. I lost? You may have the physical device, but the drive's unreadable. Ah. Yeah. So belt, suspenders, a piece of string, you know, just think yeah. about your backup solution. Right. And, and also a great test that I often find, and for Max, especially if you if you're audience is mostly Mac users, uh, there is the migration assistant in the Mac. What does that mean? It means I can rip out the hard drive from the previous computer and I'll call it the previous because obviously you just bought a new Mac. So your new Mac comes in, you load up, it does updates, this and that, but it's a blank Mac. It has nothing of your stuff, bummer. So you could do it the hard way, reload all your apps and then move, you know. The good news with the Mac is the migration assistant does all of that for you. All you need to do is either have the other Mac on, on the network, or you have a little device, like I often have little devices where you connect the hard drive in and you just tell it, or you have a backup drive with a time machine backup. And this is a product, on, this is a component of Mac OS, it's called Time Machine. It does a, a high fidelity backup of all your, all your computer. So that it, should you lose your computer, you just need the time machine backup to be back in business 100%, including your apps, which is wonderful because when you've lost a serial number to you know Adobe, uh, it's nice to just reload it straight up. Right. So as a backup solution on a Mac, it's time machine. Mm-hmm. And the test is when you get a new machine, how painful is it to move your stuff? Super painful, always. The worst, the always worst. painful. <laughs> 
<laughs> so then, you know, given the price of storage now, storage is very cheap. You know, a terabyte drive is probably much less than 50 bucks. So uh, cheap. You yeah. can get, I mean, most people don't store that much, but let's say you can get a 256 gig thumb drive. That's a lot of storage. That is, you can, yeah. You can even time machine to a thumb drive, bring it to your next computer or have it in the safe. Right. Or a firebox, fireproof box. Yeah. And uh, then you can restore kind of like it takes an hour, you're done. Well, also too, it's like, let's say you switch from a Windows or like a PC to a Mac, you plug yep. it in, it's all there. You don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, yeah. it's readable and all your files. Right. Because, you know, thankfully we've all agreed to certain formats. So, you know, a document is doc or docx, you know, different, the, the, the files are all compatible. So you can just bring your Mac files to your PC and vice versa, no problem. Uh, the apps are still a problem because on a PC, you still need to install programs. Whereas on a Mac, you can just move it because Macs Mac is built differently again. Of course. So Mac's easier. That's why it's two grand. <laughs> and the PC's 500 <laughs> for the same power. It's so, so much money. I'm probably going to have, that's a whole other thing. I'm probably going to have to get a new Mac soon. I've had it for, oh, no. I've had it for seven years. Are they telling you you can't update it anymore? No, they're not. Because that's the test. After, after I think eight years, they told me they couldn't update my Mac. Okay. And I'm like, it's a Mac I loaded with, you know, it's got big memory, big drives, right? big everything. I'm like, what do you mean? It's obsolete. <laughs> You're like, and then right. you, go to that, you go to that bit where they offer you the trade-in and they say, sorry, sorry, we can dispose of this computer safely at our Apple store. I'm like, no, I'll keep it. Thanks. Meaning they want to dispose of it. That's so sad. Are you like, does your heart break when you hear that? <laughs> It does, but I'm also oh, yeah. a, little, a little miffed because, come on, I paid really good money for that thing. They're right? so expensive. Yeah. It only eight years. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Especially the new ones. They don't have enough port USB ports. Yeah, they don't have enough ports. But, you know, there's a future actually there. If you want to start a business, the USB docks, you know, USB-C to a couple USB-As, HDMI, and then a couple USB-Cs. You know, I had this the same problem yesterday, wiring a brand new Mac, two USB-C ports for everything. But fortunately the client had purchased a little dock and then I had to make sure, okay, we feed the dock with the power, the power goes into the, the upper connector and then we use the other connector for the printer with a little, uh, we call them gender benders which, you know, go, go from one type of connector to another. Yes, it's so funny that those are called, we use them at work. Yeah, and, yep. and gender changes, whatever. It's not necessarily gender, gender. It just changes the connection. And Basically, so if it pops that. out, they call it a man. And if it goes, you put it in, they call it a woman and it's stupid. Yeah, yeah, just <laughs> male, and, male and female. I male think. and female. So to wrap up, we're going to do some rapid fire listener questions that were sent into us. Thank you to our listeners. Are there websites where you can input your email address and you can see where websites are tracking and taking your data? No, but you can look at your, com your computer slash your device locally for your cookies and see, you know, there are programs that exist to tell you who's used certain cookies, who's created those cookies. Basically, you'd want to say on most devices, do not track me. Now, whether they honor that or not, that's a different 
question. can only control so much. Yeah. I know yeah. there's a website called have I been pwned. I think it's P W N E D. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 And you basically look and if there's been, cause you know, in the news you'll hear yep. Facebook and 30 million, mm-hmm. you're like, am I one of those 30 million? And you can look yeah. up and see, you know, what, if you've been compromised yep. or anything like and that. And you can also see the same thing. Like uh, you guys know about blacklisting, you know, certainly if an, if oh. an email address, start spamming to millions and millions and millions. What the ISPs do, the internet service providers do is they blacklist that account or that domain. You know, and that's happened to some of my clients because they got hacked, somebody used their email for spamming and then they get blacklisted. There are tools to find out whether you're blacklisted and those tools will also guide you to how to resolve it so that you're not in the penalty box anymore. Would you just go, can you just Google, like, have I been blacklisted and like legit sites will come right. up? It, or you can say mailbox tools is the oh, search wow. I would do. I'm not going to name names, but there are a few reputable ones that are actually tied to the administration of the internet, the whole internet. And uh, because it's important to know if you've been hacked, you know, either externally or internally. Right. Another uh, listener question is, are webcams safe to use? As we're all using them right now. Yeah, we're Ah. using using them now. And so what I like to do, obviously, is most webcams have that little light next to them. You know, and that's usually hardwired so that if the camera is on, the light will be on no matter what. Right? I know a lot of people, what they do is put a piece of tape, and that's wonderful. That's 100% guaranteed that they won't see you. And yes, unfortunately, there are ways to hack into a computer and turn on the webcam to watch somebody else, you know? They can also hear you. The tape doesn't make you not, they can still hear you. Correct, and they can hear you. So one of the things you can do, you know, on a Mac, it's a little different, but you can certainly disable those devices when you're not using them. Or if you have an external webcam, obviously unplug it. Like my main computer has a webcam, an attached webcam, which, oh boy, were those difficult to find at the beginning of pandemic. Right. I finally got one for the main computer as a backup to this device, which is a MacBook Pro here. When I don't even want to think that I could be watched, I just unplug it because I don't need it that often. You know, and you see some laptops come with a little window, the little slider. So slide the slider because there is a physical device there. And if you block it, they can't see you. Uh, The hearing, I don't know. I haven't heard too much problems with that, but I think mostly they're trying to hack to see you. So they are safe to use. Okay. If you have a computer without, then you can have an external webcam. And usually the webcam contains the microphone, you know, just in terms of the devices, microphone and camera, and then the speakers on your computer will be the output. And that's how we we all can zoom these days. There you go. Is TikTok safe to use? (laughs) I do not use it. I I know you don't. (laughs) I I do not think it is safe. I think one of the interesting developments lately is that, and you probably all know this already, YouTube has started kind of a, its own little channel of shorts. You know, yeah. Some people have reposted yeah. some of their TikTok to the shorts. Yes, that happens a lot. And I think these are kind of cute. And TikTok's cute. And it, it all depends, you know, if somebody's going to stalk you, cyber stalk you on whatever platform. Personally, I don't have a need to share what's happening in my life with videos. If I saw something amazing, I may do a, a Facebook post with a video in it. You know, that I find much safer. And then, the, you know, it, it lives somewhere. Uh, see, I don't even know how TikTok works other than 
I know it's short videos. Yeah, my on my TikTok, I only use it to watch TikToks. I don't post. Right. And I have a username that's like not my name. So it's something, right. Right. you know, this this isn't actually it, but it's like something like NYC gal one, two, three. That's not it. Right. But something that's like random. that. Yep. And it's attached to an email that's not my major professional that's not near you like exactly there's another thing we haven't touched that i need to mention that there's a lot of email services these days and it is a good thing to avoid spam number one and to just refresh yourself create new email accounts and use them for different purposes like i have seven different email accounts four no five of which are connected to real domains that i own so that i'm secure about because i, do, I own the domain Others are, you know, Gmail, Hotmail, whatever, that I need for testing in my business. But those I can change periodically. And that's a beautiful thing to, you know, make myself anonymous to when I go on Facebook, I can have a profile or just a random anonymized profile. So there's value in that. Absolutely. There we go, y'all. Webcams are great. TikTok, not so much. So um, cover Eric, your webcam. Yeah, cover your webcams. Um, Eric, so we ask all of our guests this. It's the last question we ask. What is the most adult thing that you have done in the last week? The most adult thing I've done in the last week? Well, I don't know. I try to be an adult every day. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home dad in a way with a side business of consulting. So the adult thing, you know, the, the father, the dad thing, the most daddiest thing I've done is I drive my daughter to work every morning. Aw, what and, a good dad. You know, and I cook all the meals and I clean the nice. house. And, yeah. And I fix everything because I'm Mr. Fix-It. Yeah, <laughs> so I would trust you to fix everything. That's, that's all pretty, adult. I think that's pretty adult. That's pretty unselfish. It is. And I, and I think yeah. I'd equate adult with unselfish and, you know, being aware of your surroundings. And, Thank you so much. You're I have welcome. learned. This was so informative. I've learned so much. This is probably the episode I learned the most on. Yeah. Um, nice to see you both. Enjoy. Yeah. Well, so great having you. Yeah. Um, if people, if you, is there anything like, you know, before we wrap, is there anything you want to promote or plug? Where can people find you? Use your services. Well, you know, there's two things. Just stay, just say no. Right. If something's offered to you, it's if no, seriously in life. If something is offered to you, it's rarely to your benefit. It's to somebody else's benefit, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, with the computers, just stay aware of what's going on. You know, there's certain behaviors that are more risky. You know, the 12-year-old that gets on Facebook or whatever, or, you know, you're asking for trouble. But you guys know all of that because you grew up with all the internet and the services and the, the places we go. Yeah, they could probably email me, you know, eric at technohero.com. Got it. We'll put that in the description below. Thank you so much. Thank you You're so welcome. much. Yeah, okay, we appreciate thanks. it. You've been listening to Society of Grownups. I'm Genevieve. I'm Kathy, and we hope you learned something. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>